Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, June 20th. Heartbreak can be overcome by offering oneself to God. In our realm of duality, life inflicts countless disappointments on everyone. Perfect bliss awaits you only in God. Accept pain as a corrective to mistaken directions in your life. If you live wholeheartedly for God, Pain will keep you on the straight path that leads to Him. No, that's such a difficult thing to accept. You know, it's it's really, uh, it really takes many lifetimes to really understand why difficult things happen. I remember a very vivid example of this, and it 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 was a heartbreaking story, but it was so powerful for me. A woman. This was when I was living at Ananda Village, and my responsibility was in the guest programs. I was working in the retreat where people would come and stay to learn our teachings. And this woman came all the way from Sweden. And um, as I got to know her over the course of the week or so that she was with us, um, she was explaining, I, I believe we were having a group retreat, and so we were all introducing ourselves, and she was telling people um, why she was there. No, just to be accurate, this was a private conversation with her. But she was telling me that she had been very fortunate in her life. She came from a very happy family, and she had a sister who was close to her in age, and she and her sister were just best friends and loved each other completely. And all through their childhood and their young adulthood, they made plans about how they would always be together. They would marry men who would be best friends. They would live next door to each other. They would raise their children together. You know, just the kind of thing you would think of if you were fortunate enough to have a sister like that. And uh, this woman was probably not yet 30. And so, but when they got into their 20s, somewhere along the line, her sister contracted cancer. And despite everybody's best efforts, her sister died. And it just, it was, it was nothing that this woman that I was talking to, it was absolutely nowhere in any Imaginary, imaginary scenario of her life. What Did she ever imagine a life without her sister? And she said, as she was telling me, she said the pain of losing her was just beyond anything she could ever have imagined. And she hadn't been a particularly religious person, but the pain of losing her sister was so intense that she prayed in a way that she had never imagined being able to pray before. And as a consequence, she had spiritual experiences of of the loving presence of God and the, the comforting presence of Divine Mother that she had absolutely never imagined were possible. So the death of her sister put her onto the spiritual path. She eventually became, I mean, I, I, within a relatively short time, she discovered... Um, Paramhansa Yogananda. She became a disciple of Master. 
I, she was either there to take Kriya initiation or had already taken it. She'd found an entirely new, extremely profound and important direction for her life that had all been catalyzed by the death of her sister. So on one hand, her, her life was magnificent in ways that she'd never imagined. So I was very daring. I, I believe I was God-inspired to say this. I said, so was the death of your sister a tragedy or a blessing in your life? And she was absolutely caught because she really didn't know which way to call it. Because certainly on one level it was the greatest and, and an irreparable tragedy in her life. But on the other hand, it, is, it had led to a, a blessing of clarity and spiritual life and direction that she was nearly certain she never would have found before. So she, she didn't answer the question and didn't have to answer the question. It could just sit there in front of her. But that's the question that we often have to ask. Now, sometimes tragedy simply breaks us. And instead of discovering great power and great freedom, as we rise to meet it, um, we just become very small and struggle through. However, that smallness itself becomes such intense suffering that there comes a point when we can't bear it anymore. I had a, I had a very interesting experience, and I, I don't, I have no way of objectively verifying this, but it, it feels it's apocryphal if not literal. Um, it, for various reasons, the, the how how it came about is not important. I had well, let me say this: I had a period of time where I suddenly became quite anxious when I would travel, whereas most of the time I travel quite comfortably. There was a period of time if, when if my travel companions were separated from me, I could become quite panicked uh, about just sort of being by myself without my companions, and it got so that. You know, I would, uh, if I was like, I, I tended to like to just, in an airport, just go to the gate and sit there and open a book. And mm, some of my companions like to wander about. Most of the time I preferred to sit. But I had to make them promise that in an exact moment they would return and they couldn't be one minute late. If they were one minute late, I would just go into a panic. It was crazy. And fortunately, I got over it realizing that my companions were no more interested in missing the plane than I was I was interested in having them miss it, and so they were going to be there. I was just telling this story, just like, isn't the human mind strange? I was talking to a satsang group, just talking about the vrittis that we have in us and how odd it is, you know, after years of travel that I would suddenly be in this state of mind, but I couldn't just wish it away. It was just something I was living through. So afterwards, this woman, with some psychic ability comes and she tells me about a life, she, she believes, that I lived, in which I had been a small child, probably around the age of six or seven. Uh, I was the only child. My, uh, apparently, we were not that well-to-do. Somehow, the image in my mind, I don't know if I got it from her or where I got it, was something like a, a country like India or some slightly undeveloped country, underdeveloped country at that time, where... Mm, there were there were a lot of poor people and not much of a safety net. Um, but my mother died. My father felt unable to care for me, and so he, he he took me on a train trip, took me a few a distance away from where I lived, um, 
And then we got off the train together and then he abandoned me on the platform. And then after that, for that whole incarnation, I was an abandoned child and I had to fend for myself. As soon as she said it to me, this extraordinary grief came over me, just this really deep grief. And then a very interesting combination of things came to me. One, I became very strong in that lifetime. That's what I I sort of said and felt. You know, that life was so difficult that I became very, very strong. But I also said and felt, but I developed a lot of very bad attitudes because I had to be so tough to get through that, that it hardened me in ways that I'm still, was still having to unravel. Isn't that interesting? So was that a tragedy or was that not a tragedy? I could feel that a great many of my strengths were learned, or at least began, when I had to cope with such suffering. But I also developed some bad habits from doing it. But would any of that have happened if, if, the, if the blow hadn't been as hard as it was? Would the response have been as strong as it was in a positive sense? I can and I will do this. You see, it also depends on what is the purpose of life. The ego decides that the purpose of life is comfort and ease. In this particular planet that we're on right now, the stage of life of this particular planet is self-indulgence. If I, it's, it's the rising age of the individual without yet the moral refinement to redefine the purpose of individual life. So we, we have a lot of energy. We're a very rajasic, which is to say active planet. We're a very rajasic planet. And in many parts of the world, we're resourceful and we have many resources to be resourceful with. And therefore, we can create for ourselves a great deal of what we want. So since we can, we do. We just create more and more and more and more and more of what I want. And so life becomes defined by what I want. I read a very interesting um, and very poignant, just uh, sort of uh, last goodbye. You know, over the internet, many interesting things come to you. As someone friend put it, the many talk to the many. So you get a very interesting perspective on life that you might not get otherwise. A woman who, I don't have no idea who she was, but she was a very famous fashion model. And she was maybe 30. And she'd already enjoyed, apparently, enormous success. But she was just about to die of cancer. And she just talked about I've, all the luxury hotels, all the resorts, all the money, all the limousines, all the clothes the hair, the face, the closet full of shoes, just everything. She says, what is it to me now? Absolutely nothing. It was, it was an interesting letter because she hadn't turned to higher values. She only understood that what she had lived for was so ephemeral. And from the perspective she was living now, her, her absorption in it seemed peculiar. I guess that would be the best way. She couldn't understand why it had attracted her so much. And I think she wanted people to know that it, it has no lasting value, that at a certain point death will take it away from you. So what happens to all of us over the course of many incarnations is we really begin to think about it. How do I really want to spend my energy? What do I really want to do? What, what do I want to accumulate? 
and, and what will happen at the end of my life? How will I feel? A tremendous amount of... Uh, a tremendous amount of my own spiritual search was... Uh, it was there to happen because of previous lifetimes. There's just looking at my incarnation, that's self-evident. Because I was so dedicated, so young. And I really... I did nothing as a grown-up. I just got myself organized enough to get to my spiritual family. Um, but I remember, just as I was coming on the path, so I would have been 19, I remember thinking about death. And, and I don't really remember thinking about death that much before that. It wasn't like I was preoccupied. But I remember thinking about death. And I had good friends at that point, and I had close relationships. And, and so I was loved. And I realized that when I died, it was very likely that I would have many people, or at least some people, who loved me. But I was also conscious of the fact that no matter how much they loved me, there would be a point in which I would be on my deathbed. And it's interesting because at that point I'd never, I didn't even, I think, even though I, yeah, I, I don't think I knew anybody who had died, except perhaps my grandfather, who I didn't know him at all. I'd had no close associates who had died, and I'd never been at anybody's deathbed. Subsequently, I've been at a number of the deathbed of a number of dear and great souls. But interestingly, my my picture at the age of 19 was very similar to what I subsequently experienced in this incarnation in others, because self-evidently I haven't died yet. But it was the gradual slipping away of everybody that I would be entirely alone, even if people were hovering right next to me holding my hand. By definition, at a certain point, when death comes for you, you go. And the people who aren't dying don't, which means you you travel by yourself. And all you have at that point is your consciousness. And I remember at the age of 19 what felt to me, what I remember is like staying awake, lying awake all night thinking about it, but that was just the feeling of it. Whether it was literal or not, I don't know. Looking for an alternative to that projecting myself to different ages in time, to different planets, to different solar systems, you know, to every iteration that I could imagine. And no matter where I was and what I was doing, if I was a sentient creature in a physical body, at a certain point I would be alone with my consciousness. And it just became pretty obvious to me that I'd better do something about my consciousness. Because no matter how far away it was, that day would come. And when it came, nothing else would matter except what my consciousness had become. So these are like, I describe this because this is an evolutionary process of, of ever-growing ever awareness. It can't be hurried, it can't be reasoned, it can't be intellectualized, but it will come. So when life begins to push us, by disappointing us and breaking our heart. And we're suffering and we ask ourselves, what can I do about this suffering? Try to, try to solve our problems by raising our consciousness and thinking more deeply about the meaning of life. Only in God is there perfect bliss. So Swamiji says, Heartbreak can be overcome by offering oneself to God. In our realm of duality, Life inflicts countless disappointments on everyone. Perfect bliss awaits you 
only in God, accept pain as a corrective to mistaken directions in your life. If you live wholeheartedly for God, pain will keep you on the straight path that leads to Him. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.